following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. We, um, our children's church ministry, if you uh, are able and willing, we need someone who uh, might be willing to fill in for children's church. Um, well, kind of, I say fill in permanently, I guess, on the fourth Sundays of the month. At this point, um, we've asked a few people, and just some of them are uh, we're very much involved with other things, and so um, we're just going to give a general plea this morning. If you are interested and able in uh, helping with children's church on Sundays, the fourth Sunday of the month, uh, please talk to myself or Steve Benson. And uh, if not, at this point, the, on the fourth Sunday of the, this month and henceforth, we'll, well, we'll have the kids in here. And I think that could be actually really cool. And so I'm already kind of mentally working in my mind how I would present the message to kids. So some of you might like it more if I did it that way, to be honest with you. So anyway, so keep that in your mind. Also, I'm excited what, about what I'm going to be preaching on this morning. And some of you guys know me. Uh, I get to talk and fast sometimes. And when I get really emotional, sometimes my voice drops really low. And I didn't do it today, but I usually I've been putting sticky notes on my Bible saying, don't let your, Bible, your voice drop low. So if I get going fast or if I drop low, it's not planned. It's just me being excited, genuinely excited about what God's Word has to say for us this morning. With that in mind, please join me, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. One of the things that... I, I and most Christians get excited about is hearing a dramatic story of a life that has been changed and the transformation that happens when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit begins to work in them and over time you see this dramatic change. Sometimes it's a moment in time where this person is never the same. Other times oh, it seems like there's this course of time where a person is dramatically transformed. One of those stories that I absolutely love is the story of John Newton. He's the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace. And most people are unfamiliar with his story, but it is undoubtedly a story of dramatic transformation that only God could have done. And in point of fact, to be blunt, God's changing him actually changed the course of world history in a way that few really realized. But here's kind of the story of John Newton. So he was born in England and raised for a time with his Christian mother, but she passed away at about when he was about six years old. And over time, he became, by his own estimation, an atheist. And he wasn't just a guy who didn't believe in God. He was a, an angry atheist. And by um, his own estimation, in his letters and the, the things he wrote in his journal, he was such a hard person to be around that even the other, other sailors with him, who were kind of a rough crowd anyway, were actually kind of taken aback by how, how viciously angry he was and the things he would say. So what kind of work was he in? He was actually involved in the slave trade. And over time, he actually himself became a slave to a, a tribal chief in Africa whose wife actually hated him and was pretty brutal to him. Still, he, after he had managed to be set free from that, he goes back into working for the slave trade. And, and he's, he's reading some Christian materials, mostly to mock it. But then the question began to arise in his mind, what if this is true? 
And about the time that all this is going on, he's on the ship and it's, the word comes in that we're going to sink. And he says the words, Lord, save me. And in that moment, there was a beginning of a change in his life. And because I know where his story ends, as I'm reading the pages of his history, I'm like, why are you still involved in the slave trade, Christian? Well, nobody was telling him otherwise. And over time, he eventually leaves that and he becomes a, a pastor. And a, a, a young man comes into his, his church. Actually, at the time, he was a child. The child's name was William Wilberforce. He, was a, he eventually became a member of British Parliament. And he had forged this relationship with John Newton. And when he became a member of Parliament, he actually went to John Newton privately and said, Hey, uh, Pastor Newton, I'm actually considering leaving Parliament to become a pastor. And John Newton encouraged him to stay in government. If you don't know where the story goes, William Wilberforce, with the assistance of John Newton, led the charge to abolish the slave trade in England. And as I'm reading through the page, hundreds of pages of his biography, because I know where the story ends, I'm wrestling with the question, what is taking you so long to figure out what we all know? Well, here's the thing. In his day and age, there was no external pressure. There was no yelling in his face about his involvement with any of this. It was only a work of God in his heart telling him that it was wrong. And then he spoke up and changed the world. See, that when we hear stories of that, like transformation, it, it gets us excited. We hear about a, a person who had been in a drug addict, and they come to faith in Christ, and, and something dramatic happens. Other times, the change isn't so dramatic, but if you, a person comes to Christ, and over a period of years, you meet somebody you haven't seen in a long time, and they go, there's something different about you. You're not as angry as you used to be. You seem to tell the truth a whole lot more. What is going on with you? See, when we see stories of transformation from a person, from the heart, from the inside out, we begin to see a work of the gospel in a person's life, and it's exciting to behold. How does this happen? Well, it begins in, as a work in the heart. And see, the thing of the matter is, we're not all doing what John Newton was doing, but we're all sinners by birth and by choice. The Bible has this sort of occasional line that comes up and, or some hint of it. In the book of Genesis, shortly after the flood, God gives this statement that the human heart was always continually wicked. Then you get to Ezekiel and the prophet says, uh, the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The Proverbs say, uh, guard your heart above all things because from it flow the issues of life. And as Christians, we have to understand something. It's not talking about the muscle that pumps blood. The Bible is talking about more like the heart as the, the, the control center of the human heart. The mind, emotion, and wills that drives our behavior and action, it's, it's messed up. And we're all this way. And, and so what we need is, is a work of the heart. And so God along, comes along and He speaks to the prophet and says, I'm going to take that heart of stone out of you. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to write righteous laws on your heart through the pen of the Holy Spirit. You will be transformed. And it, it begins with a work of God, the, the Son dying on the cross. It continues with the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. And we see transformation. It's a beautiful thing. See, transformation ultimately is a work of the heart. In our passage this morning, it's easy to miss what Paul is trying to accomplish as the Holy Spirit inspires us. I'm going to kind of give you a picture. 
In verse 3 through 14, he lays out the glory of, of what God has done in salvation. And if you're paying attention, in, a, in some ways it's kind of repetitive. And in a lot of ways it's like, this is too much to take in. In, in Greek, it's one long run-on sentence from verse 3 to 14. And normally I might say, yeah, 11 verses is too much to handle in one week. But it all goes together. And then after laying out all this deep truth about what God has done for us in Christ, he goes on in verse 15 to 21 and basically says, and I'm praying that God would enable you to have a heart and a mind that has understanding of all that God has done for you. Because as we look at these verses, you're going to say this is hard to really grasp. Not hard to like, although some struggle with some of its theology, but it says what it says for our glory. And the ultimate goal, check this out, is that when we see who God is, we'll step back and say, wow. Let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read the first, all of verse 3 and part of verse 2, but keep your Bible open. We're going to continue on in the whole section. Here's what he writes. Verse, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So he basically, this is the summary of those two verses. God is worthy of praise because He is generous. And for those of you who are, as Paul writes, in Christ, that means you are a believer in Jesus Christ. He's trying to, this word in Christ, this phrase, I have struggled with it for years. What does this mean? I kind of got the point, but he is trying to communicate to you this idea that because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are so close to Christ now that when God sees you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. And then we have a, a thing that we do when a person comes to faith in Christ. We baptize them, and the Bible says they are baptized into Christ, and it speaks of our union with him. And so he's saying, you are in Christ and God has blessed you with so many spiritual blessings. Praise God for this. Praise God because of the blessings that he gives to his children. A heart of stone was replaced with a heart of flesh. Transformation begins. There's a hope of the future. We are in Christ. Even when we mess up, we have Christ there as our great high priest. God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing because of our privileged relationship with His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Praise God, because He, because he chose us in Christ before laying earth's foundation. Now you can cut the part really quick, but don't miss this. If you built a building tomorrow, the first thing you would need to do after you dug a hole was build a foundation. And what he's saying is, praise God because he chose you for salvation, for adoption into the family of God before the earth's foundation was laid. What I want you to understand is the cross, through the cross, Christ Jesus was providing what I would call planned giving. Planned giving is sort of like after you pass away, giving uh, takes place on, on your behalf and arrangements are made. Well, Christ died on the cross. There was planned giving. Through his death on the cross, grace, salvation, uh, all these blessings were promised to us. And it was, it was chosen from before the foundation of the earth. Jesus Christ is called the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation 
of the earth. There is nothing haphazard about God's plan here. And it says there, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And the, earlier this week, I was trying to explain the depth of this truth uh, to, to one of my sons. I said, Austin, uh, I read the verse, and then I said, you know, you were baptized about a year ago. But when it says there, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, it means that He chose you before you were even born. Well, actually, it means that He chose you before I, your father, was born. Actually, it means that before Adam and Eve were born, He chose you. And my little theologian on the couch sat there, and he had, you can see the wheels turning, and he sits there, and he has the most profound theological response. Wow. I'm a Bible nerd by, by now. You guys know this. I'm like this Bible nerd. I read the text in Greek and all this stuff, and I read what all the old dead dudes have written about the Bible, and I love that stuff. And I'm aware of the debates and this stuff here where it says God chose us. This makes people angry because we were kind of like, we got free will, and I'm like, yeah, sort of, but your free will, you, you chose to sin, and therefore are dead in your trespasses and sins unless Christ chooses to save you. If you're a child of God, praise God, He has chosen to save you. Some people say, how does this all, all work? And I have free will and there's this sovereign God and it says He chose us. Can I just give you the best answer I've ever heard respond to that question? You ready? This was John Calvin. Some of you guys don't like that guy, but he, this was a good answer. Here's what he was. He was asked about this and he said, well, I don't know what God hasn't revealed to me. He hasn't revealed to me how sovereignty and, and free will all work. What I do know is, is what He has revealed to me. So I can't let what I don't know overrule what I do know. And what I do know is that the text says God chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. How all of that other stuff plays out, God has not chosen to reveal that to me. But I can't let what I don't know overrule what I do know. And I know that the Word of God says plainly that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So while lots of Christians debate this stuff, can I just tell you, Austin's response was probably what Paul was hoping for when the Spirit led him to write this. Wow! Great theological response. Worship. But ultimately, in that simple statement of my little son's heart, was an act of worship of the truest kind. Glory to God. When our hearts catch a real glimpse of God, we are filled with awe and are transformed by it. And then we glorify Him from the heart, not because they played my favorite song or the music minister harassed us into singing. I've, I've been into those services. Sometimes we need to be harassed into singing. But much better it is when we choose to worship God from the heart. Explains in the text that we were chosen in Christ two things for sanctification and glorification. This is a work of God. But what does this mean? Sanctified, made holy through washing of regeneration and set apart for God's good pleasure. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your sins are washed away. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and you are born again. I call that the washing of regeneration. Actually, I don't call it that. The Bible does. So I do too. So we're born again. We are set apart for God's good pleasure. 
What does that mean? It means we get this. We have a privileged position of service. So you got saved on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose involves service. And it's not just any service. There is this grand drama of God's glory in the universe. Men and demons have resisted it, but then you, child of God, have been chosen out of the rebellion to glorify and serve God. And that is not a small matter. It says then we've been glorified. Given the privilege, at least this is how he's talking about it here, I think. The privilege of standing in God's presence. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sin, and they're kicked out of the garden, and the, the way back in is blocked, and there's no re-entry into the Garden of Eden, so they couldn't experience God's pleasure anymore and experience His presence. That was lost to the human race. But God, in the fullness of time, chose to send Jesus to make this reunion with God possible. He's uniting heaven and earth together. You're not sure the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is heaven and earth working together, amongst other things. Not everyone gets to stand in the presence of God. And some people don't like you talking like that, but that's the truth of the matter from God's Word. Not everyone has the privilege of standing in the presence of God because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God is worthy of our praise because, verse 4 to 6, because of his glorious plan to adopt us. Last two words of verse 4 through verse 6. In love, not in wrath, not in vindictiveness, not in wrath, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It means he wanted to. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You know, get this. Uh, you were, however you responded to faith in Christ, however I responded, I responded, my dad's the one that led me to the Lord, but there was a lot of things going on. But it wasn't as though God... I had God over a barrel because I responded. No, He chose this. And, and this reality hit me one day like a ton of bricks. I was driving down the street as a Christian. I had been saved for a while and I was walking with the Lord, but there was one area of my life that I kept stumbling and falling in. And I remember driving down the road after another fail with God, and I was like, oh God, how is it possible that I am a child of God? And one of the few times where I felt like God spoke to me like in a sentence form, this is what the response was. I chose you full well knowing that you would fail me. I'm one of his adopted children. It isn't a matter of earning my way into the family of God. That's not how it works. So praise God because in love he predestined. What does that word mean? It means kind of what it sounds like. It means that he determined ahead of time to adopt us through faith in Jesus Christ because he wanted to. It was for his good pleasure. That means it makes him happy to do it. When you see the face of God, do you see a, a smiling father or a glowering prison guard? Do you see a smiling father or a glowering prison guard? That might be the difference between experiencing grace and not experiencing grace. Our Father chose to adopt us into His forever family. 
God's glory is revealed in His choice to show His kindness and love for us by adopting us in His family. We should then praise Him because of this choice. We should say, wow. Here our salvation is spoken of as adoption into His family. Because God's rescue mission to save His lost children through the cross of Christ was planned before the foundation of the world. All the arrangements were being made. You were not chosen last. What does that mean? I, I did my best to explain it to some kids because this is how I experienced the idea of God choosing me a long, long time ago. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to play basketball a lot. Not, not on a professional, not professional, obviously. Not in the school team. But I played a lot from like noon to like I had to go home. And I would, uh, we'd pick teams. And I would usually be picked last. And that made me pretty angry. Because while I knew I wasn't the best guy on the team, I'm like, that guy stinks and I'm better than him. Why is he choosing? Well, the reason was I wasn't everyone's favorite person for whatever reason. So I wasn't chosen till last. And that made me angry. What was the response? I'd be lying to you if I said I scored more points than anybody, but I scored more points than anyone ever expected I would. I definitely got more rebounds than anybody. And I'm like the only guy that would set picks for the guys who could score really well. You know what happened? My teams kept winning. Not because I was the best, but I'll tell you, I played really stinking hard because it made me angry to be picked last. But what the text is saying is God chose you a long time ago, centuries ago, regardless of your performance. He knew full well that you were going to fumble the ball out of bounds. You were going to throw bad passes, miss the three-pointer, miss the foul shot when the game was on the line, spiritually speaking. He chose you. And that should be encouraging. The response should not be arguing with God because he chose you. Or arguing with me because I said he chose you. Because the Bible said he chose you. The response is, wow. Wow. God chose to make a team out of sinners. Yep. That's what he's done. So praise God for that. Verse 7 through 10. Praise God because of the blessing that come to those who are in Christ. In him... We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. How? In all wisdom and insight. There is no haphazard with God. Making known to us the mystery of His will according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. The things on earth were, have been hostile to God for a long time. So what are you saying at the last part there? The best that I can understand it is, through Christ, some individuals on, on earth, me included, were united to God the Father in heaven. There was hostility. The, the nature of our relationship with God before coming to faith in Him. One word, enmity, basically means hostility. Christian, by God's grace, you were redeemed. You were redeemed. Let's just define this. You ready? In the biblical days, when a slave was sold, they were put on a block. And people would admire the slave's muscles or whatever. 
And then they'd start trying to buy that slave. And so when it says you have been redeemed, he's saying you who were a slave of sin. Sin was calling the shots, determining your destiny as those judged by God and at enmity with God. It was your master. It promised freedom, but it brought slavery. That was you. That was me. When it says you were redeemed, it means you were bought off the slave block to become a child of God. That's beautiful. People don't just buy slaves to, to make them children. Not usually. In the history of America, we've got some who did do that, basically. But God literally did this, and this set the standard. Christian, by God's grace, you were redeemed. You were bought out of slavery to sin and are now one of his children. Christ's blood paid for the sin debt. Now, I'm elaborating that point about the Christ's blood paying for the sin debt. I kind of become aware that sometimes when you preach, you think it's a normal Sunday, and then you realize substitutionary atonement is under attack in the church. But I don't know what to make of the sense of the fact that the text says he died in my place. The just for the unjust. And rose again the third day. God gave his grace and wisdom. In, God gave his grace in wisdom and insight. It was planned giving. His sovereign choice to save us was shrouded in mystery for centuries until he revealed it. To us. You know, there's lots of people that read the Bible that don't come to a faith in Jesus Christ. How? How did you? How did Austin understand what people don't seem to get? That's a work of God. Understand that. There are scholars who write books that are read by people like me, and these guys study the Bible and don't believe a word of it. How is that possible? How is it possible that I, or you, who are not as smart as some of these guys, understand it and believe it, and are saved? That's a work of God. His sovereign choice to save us was shrouded in mystery until God revealed it to you. Christian, you were chosen for this honor because God wanted to reveal his glory through you. You did not earn it. Wow. Wow. Verse 11 and 12, praise God because he promised heaven to those who are in Christ. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be, might exist to the praise of his glory. You are a trophy of His glory, of His grace. That is why you and I are children of God. God promised us an inheritance in heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. The arrangements have all been made on your behalf. Truly understanding what God has done for us should fill us with awe and wonder. I love that song, Your Grace Still amazes me. I think if we don't really grasp it, we lose the ability to say, wow. Which means it's not amazing us a whole lot anymore. 
But the truth of the matter is we've received an unbelievable gift, a privileged position of service whereby God calls us His children and enjoys us. The chief end, the chief purpose for which we exist is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And He has made that possible for us. Praise God, because He is the one who guarantees His promises to us. Verse 13 and 14. In Him, that's Jesus again, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That seal, uh, humans can't just pull it off. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. What's he talking about here? Well, when you believed the gospel, the Holy Spirit was deposited in you, and He guarantees that you will receive what God has promised. He does this by ensuring that you remain in Christ. I want to preach that my Baptist friends for a moment. Well, you're most, most of you are, but I'm going to preach at you for a second. One of the accusations of Baptist preachers is that we say that you can, once you've prayed a prayer, you can live however you want. I don't see that in the Bible. What do I see? I see that a Holy, the Holy Spirit is deposited in you. And He will not let you and I be comfortable living in sin. Does that mean we'll never sin? Unfortunately, no, that's not the case. But it means that over time, the eyes of our heart will be open, and as children of God, we'll realize we need to repent. Read down through Ephesians chapter 5, child of God. What does it say? He says, you are children of God. So be imitators of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us, depositing us, guaranteeing that God carries out and gives us what He promised. Praise God because He has elected you for adoption as sons and daughters. He is the one who promised you an inheritance in heaven. He is the one who guarantees what He promised you. He is the one who paid for it by sending His only begotten Son who died on the cross in your place as a ransom for many and rose again the third day. God planned to save you through His majestic grace. If you are inclined to debate all this stuff out, yeah, you had free will somewhere in there. But the truth is, without God's assistance, all we choose is sin. Well, I, I responded to the preacher's invitation. Praise God who sent the preacher. Who inspired the text that he preached from? Who convicted you of sin and about righteousness and about Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit did that. The better response, when God doesn't tell you everything that you think you need to know, is to just say, wow. We can't allow what we don't understand to overrule what we do understand. And what the Bible is telling you is this. God chose you. Be 
humbled and be filled with gratitude. See, we gather for worship because God deserves praise. How are people transformed at Calvary? We talk about three things. Number one, uh, we gather for worship together. Because as a collective group, we step back and we say, man, look what God has done. And we sing His praises. We give of our finances. One of the things that... Can I, can I just have a really... Imagine I'm on the counselor's chair with you. Can I tell you what goes on behind the minds of most pastors? Most pastors are very uncomfortable talking about giving. Because we know that it irks you. Some of you, anyway. And then we have the guys who are really comfortable talking about giving. Give the rest of us a bad name and make it hard to talk about it. But can I tell you this really honestly? In an audience like this, we'll have people who are, eh, whatever he's talking about giving. Other guys are irked. And then we've got some who are like, yeah, talk more about giving. How, how, what's the difference? Can I just say that for the person who is glad to give, it's probably because they caught a glimpse of who God is and what He's done, what He is doing. And they say, you know what? I can do 10%. That's not... I was going to hell. See, the difference is transformation. Am I saying a person who doesn't like when I talk about... Okay, I've been here almost two and a half years, and this is the first I've probably said a word about giving, I think. And I think the difference with a person who's irked versus not, it's not that you're not a believer. It's just that there's a room for more transformation. There's room for more transformation in all of us. So when we gather to glorify God, it's because He deserves praise. And we praise God by singing His songs, by praying, by serving others, by serving God, and certainly by giving. God be praised because He redeemed us adopting us as his children. And when we gather for worship because of who he is and what he has done, our hearts are transformed. The two other things that we talk about for when it comes to transformation, and we'll be talking about these uh, for the next few weeks, not only we gather for worship, but we grow in, in personal Bible study and in, in group studies. There's something that happens. Listen, uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who opens our minds and our eyes, but one of the primary tool he uses is the word of God and he also uses other Christians to help us understand the word of God better so we say that transformation happens as we gather for worship grow in personal study and group studies and then go find a place to serve God and others inside the church or beyond when we begin to do this we begin to be transformed and when I when, we, when I think of the people who have been transformed the most most dramatically like a John Newton all of those components were in place. There was worship, there was study, there was service, and we see a dramatic transformation. And so my invitation to you in 2023 is this. Partner together as we gather to grow in worship, grow in our understanding of God, and in service to God and others. When we do that, we'll see a radically transformed people because our hearts will be radically transformed. Finally, perhaps this morning you've heard some dramatic stuff and maybe, maybe you're not understanding all of it. You understand this today. You understand that sin uh, is a, against God's rule. You've broken God's rules and according to the Bible it says that you are a slave of sin. It's, it calls the shots. 
Maybe you kind of like, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that strong a language, but I, I, I can kind of see it. Uh, I know I'm a sinner. And you believe the truth that God the Father sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross in your place and rose again. And that's glorious. And you understand that this morning because, not because I said it. Lots of people hear me say stuff. The difference this morning was that God the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart and you got it. But God doesn't want you to just say, okay, I like this story. He wants you to respond. To turn from sin and to turn to Jesus in, in faith. And this morning, if you'd like to do that, before we take Lord's Supper, I'm going to give you a very simple opportunity. I'm going to lead us in a very simple prayer. I don't think there's magic in a prayer, but the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, if you'd like to do that, just join me in prayer. Take the words and repeat them to God from a heart that, says, that is saying, wow, and God will hear you. Let's pray. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I've broken your rules, probably in ways I don't understand. But I believe that Jesus Christ is your Son. He lived a sinless life, died on a cross in my place, and rose again. His death paid for my sins. I believe that. So I'm turning from sin, turning to Jesus in faith. Help me to walk with Him and to be transformed by Him. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, if you prayed up that prayer, uh, I want to talk to you, I or Pastor Rob or one of the deacons or just a close Christian friend. Let them know that you've called on Jesus for salvation. We want to talk to you about the next steps. Normally in the New Testament, baptism is soon to follow. Usually the next, the same day, but um, come and share with somebody that you've put your trust in Jesus. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.